Thanks for coming. We are so glad that you're here today. This is um, a little bit different than what we normally do. We haven't started off our years together. We haven't started Wellspring and Build Off together. We usually end together with this very lesson that we'll talk about today. But um, instead, what we thought we would do is um, put this at the front of the year, talk to you about what Grace Bible Church is about, and how Build and Wellspring fit into what Grace Bible Church is about, and let that start the year rather than point it out at the end of the year. So um, thank you for being here today. Thank you for making your way past um, terrible accidents on the freeway. Um, the one on I-10 just happened at 5.30 this morning when I as I was coming by, and um, I don't know, that looks really bad. So um, anyway, thank you for getting here. So glad that you're here. If The way that it works, um, there's food over there, and you probably and drink, and you, and you probably already have some, but at some point you're going to be thinking that you want some more. Feel free to just get up and make your way across. Don't worry about like, I'm doing right now. like what Scott's doing. Just follow elder leadership there. Do whatever you need and uh, make yourself at home. Uh, for those of you who may not know, the restrooms are right out this um, hallway here on your right. Um, we're going to spend uh, most of our time together here at the beginning, and then we're going to split up. Ladies, because the men actually this year have more guys in build than you have in ladies in Wellspring, you're going to get to go to the library, and you'll be at the library for the rest of the year. And it's actually really nice down there. So uh, guys will stay here today. But let's do this. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, just jump right in, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be together. And Lord, I just want to pray again for any of those families, um, the families involved with any of those accidents, Lord, that um, life perhaps changed dramatically today for them. And I pray, Lord, that they would know you, that their eyes would be set upon you, that perhaps maybe for the first time you might use something like this to point them to you that you would bring people into their lives who know Jesus Christ, love him and love your word, and would share the good news with them. pray that you'd comfort them and that, Lord, you would be merciful to them. Lord, we desire your mercy on us this morning as we open your word and look at it. We are in great need. We do not want to assume that simply because we're Christians and that we are awake and that your Bible is open before us, that we will automatically get what we need to get out of it, that we will even worship you while your Bible is open. We do not want to assume that that will happen, Lord. We want to discipline ourselves. We want to control ourselves, humble ourselves in such a way that as we interact with your word, we meet with you. So would you please draw near to us as we draw near to you? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have lots of handouts and things like that to go in your notebook. Um, I found out that if you will not put those things in now, all of the snapping uh, does a really weird thing with the audio, and it makes it picks up that snapping better than it does any voice that's talking. So maybe later you can insert everything in your notebook, um, if you don't mind doing that. Let's talk today about um, the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church. Um, if you look at our bulletin or if you're on our website, you'll see that we have a basically a statement that kind of summarizes what Grace Bible Church is all about. It goes, you see it at the top of your page, it's, a, it's this, a biblical vision of God leads us to our gospel purpose in Christ. And so what I want to do is really break down those two sections for you today, what a biblical vision of God is, what, what do we mean by that? at Grace Bible Church, and then talk about 
our gospel purpose in Christ. Um, so let's start first, number one, just with a biblical vision of God. Just some key things here to, to point out. The key word is God. Um, we are after God in His triune greatness. We're after God the Father. We're after God the Son. We are after God the Holy Spirit. Um, if we have uh, an interest in the Bible and come near to the Bible but miss the God of the Bible, something really, really wrong took place. And so we want to make sure that we are after God. Um, by the word vision, we mean that we want to see Him. We want to set our sights on that great God who reveals Himself in three persons. We want to set our sights on Him. We want to see Him the way the Bible sees Him. We want to see the world the way the Bible sees the world. We want to see ourselves the way the Bible sees us. We need that vision of God. And... Um, Bible or a biblical vision of God, that's key. The only way that you really see God for what he is in this age is through the word of God. Praise God that um, natural revelation, that creation does reveal something of God, but it does not reveal his grace. It does not reveal his His mercy. When you look out on the world, I don't know if you've, if you've thought about this in this way, but when you look out on creation, we marvel at how beautiful it is. But you know that what you're looking at still is bearing the, the scars of his judgment when he flooded the world. You're looking, it's like, like this is crazy illustration, forgive me. You know when you're a parent and you've got your little ones and you have to do some correction, some discipline, and then they, you give them a little bath later and you notice that the backside still is a little red? When you look at the world, you're looking at the remainder of judgment. And so that tells you something about God, but it, there's so much that you do not see about God that you can only get from Him right here. And so we want a biblical vision of God. And so that's what we're after here. So that means we're going to split it up into the three members of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the, the Holy Spirit. So let's start first with the glory of God. By talking about the glory of God... Um, we're primarily orienting the glory in the Father, but we're not trying to say by that that the Son does not have glory because you can't get to the New Testament and, without seeing that everywhere. And we're not trying to say that the Holy Spirit is not glorious. We're just rooting it more so in the glory of God the Father. And I encourage you, at the beginning of your year, you're going to be asked in Build and Wellspring to pick a, reading, a Bible reading program or a plan and just make sure that you're reading through your Bible. I encourage you at the beginning of that, look for the word glory. As you read, circle it, highlight it, underline it, write it off in the margin. Uh, keep a journal and just, every time you see glory, write down where it's at. And, and, um, and what your understanding of glory will be, by the time you're done, will be, uh, it will be deepened greatly. What does the word glory mean in, Bible, in the Bible? Um, God's glory in the Bible is, is primarily in the Old Testament. It is his weightiness. It's his weightiness. It's his worth. The glory of God is his splendor. Um, another way to say it would be his overwhelmingness. It is that about God which is absolutely overwhelming and splendid. And that splendor of God, that overwhelmingness, is represented primarily through radiant light in the Bible. So God will appear in his glory, and it will talk about beaming radiant light... So beaming and so radiant that even Moses, when he is up against it, when he comes down from the mountain, he's what? 
He is glowing from it, right? Um, so it is his weightiness, it's his overwhelmingness that is expressed through brilliant, radiant light. Um, there's a sense in which when God is in the scriptures is meeting with a man or a person or uh, in, in the Bible that what he's using to communicate himself to them is his glory. John 1.18 says that no one has seen God at any time. He does not communicate himself personally in all of the fullness of who he is because man cannot handle that. Um, we are not in a condition right now that we can take on the fullness of who God is in all of his glory and, and, and survive. So what God does is he communicates himself to man through his overwhelmingness, his radiant, uh, uh, splendid light. Um, no man can see me and live, he says in Exodus 33.20. We'll look at that passage in just a moment. But what God does do is he communicates himself at different times and different places to different people in the Bible with a weighty and impressive radiant light that man was capable of soaking in. And when man did soak it in, oftentimes he fell to the ground as if a dead man. Remember? Um, Moses was dropped to his knees by the glory of God. It made him glow. The Old Testament teaching on the glory of God is, you can find it in many places, but the uh, probably the, the densest place it is found is Exodus 33. New Testament teaching is uh, abundant with the glory of God, uh, God's glory in Jesus. John 1.14, it talks about um, Jesus' glory there in John chapter 12, verses 37 through 41. Um, John says that Isaiah, when he saw the glory of God in Isaiah 6, that he was seeing the glory of the second person of the Godhead, Jesus. Luke 9, 28-36, Jesus and two other, um, uh, or is it the three other disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they see the radiant, splendid light of Jesus there. There's future glory for Jesus in the Matthew passages that you have listed there. Um, in Revelation 21, the glory of the New Jerusalem, the, the radiant light that is there is not from a created sun, but actually comes from God himself, who is the light of that New Jerusalem. Now let's go ahead and turn to uh, Exodus 33. I want to I have you look at this passage with me a little more closely. <clears throat> Maybe on your own you can back up um, later and read Exodus 32. It's very important. Exodus 33 makes all the more sense when you understand in Exodus 32 that Israel just made the golden calf and got in big trouble for it. And now God says to them basically at the end of, at the beginning of chapter 33, he says, um, in verse 3, he says, go, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. I, however, Yahweh says, I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. So Yahweh just says, I, I can't go another step with you. You are done if I go with you. And so then the whole rest of Exodus 33 is about Moses meeting with God up on the mountain and Moses pleading with God in this way. Look at, uh, look at verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to Yahweh, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me uh, know whom you will send with me. All he knows at this point is Yahweh is not going, I'll send an angel with you. But he hasn't told him who is going with him. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, Moses, 
and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. you you've told me you're not going with us, but I need to know what you're like. Moses says to God, I need to know your ways so that I know you. How do I help these people know you if, if you're not with us? Consider this too, verse 13, that this nation is your people. And so Yahweh said to him, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. So God determines to go with them. He said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all of the other people who are upon the face of the earth? What made Israel different than all of the other nations? That verse tells us what made them different. What made them different? It was Yahweh. It was God. Israel is just like any other Canaanite nation that was there, equally deserving to be dispelled, kicked out, and judged. But what made Israel different was God was with them. The Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Show me your weighty impressiveness. Show me everything that is overwhelming about you that is expressed through your radiant light. Verse 19, he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. I like that. I'll make an attribute of mine pass by you. I'll make my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. So he got to hear a sermon as God went by him. An attribute of God went by him and a sermon went by him. Words went by him. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I'll show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away and I'll let you see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Um, what God communicated to him was his glory, but not his full-on being, because Moses could not handle that. So what God c- communicated of himself in these kinds of instances in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament somewhat, you see it God communicating himself through his radiant, expressive glory. Now, go to a different mountain. Go to Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Another mountain, similar setting. Some eight days later, after these things, he took along, that's Jesus, took along Peter and John and James, and they went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So this is a parallel to the Old Testament passage we just looked at. You're on a mountain. Now there is impressive radiant light, but this time it's beaming from a man named Jesus of Nazareth, and Moses is there again. Except Moses is not by himself. Moses is with Elijah. 
So now you have the two great representatives of the Old Testament witness. You have the representative of the law and the prophets. So here is the representation of God's law and prophets meeting with the one who is radiant in all of his glory on a mountain and sleeping disciples. Verse 32, Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and two men standing with him, and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. So they're starting to leave. This moment is changing. Peter wants them to stay, and so he thinks, well, I'll build them little houses, shelters for them to stay in. And in doing so, he expresses that he thinks Jesus and Moses and Elijah are all on the same level. I'm going to build three of them. We're going to have all these guys stay here. This is a great moment. Indeed, it is a great moment. But he doesn't know what he's saying. Verse 34, while he was saying this, in fact, what we're about to find out is what did God think about what Peter... Peter's view of Jesus compared to Moses and Elijah. What does God think about Peter's view. Verse 34. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. That's that cloud of God's glory in the Old Testament. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which had they had seen. God takes his son, and he says he is not on the same level as these representatives of the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. He is above them. He is my son. You listen to what he says. Um, So there you have the glory of God in the Old Testament, the glory of God in the New Testament in the face of Jesus Christ. You can look at other passages on that. Practically speaking, so what? We're about the glory of God at Grace Bible Church. So what? What does that mean? Primarily, I think it it needs to represent itself this way in your life first. You need to position yourself often to drink in that glory of God in Scripture. You are not going to have a moment up on a mountain like Moses did, like Peter, James, and John did. But you can witness the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ through the words of this book. Bring yourself to this book and drink in the glory of God. Do you want to glorify God with your life? If you want to glorify God with your life, tell me how that desire to glorify God in your life would be impacted if your daily plan was to come to this book and soak in the glory, the weighty splendor of God in Jesus Christ here. Do that. What impact will that make on you wanting to glorify God? The best, the the people throughout... Church history, redemptive history. The the people who most glorified God were the people who were most concerned to drink in His glory. Be that kind of man. You tell me, do do your the people you live with need you to be that kind of man, that kind of woman? If you're a dad, you're a husband, your your wife desperately needs you to be such. Your children need you to be such. If you starve yourself and do not expose yourself to the glory of God in Scripture. You're impoverishing your own soul, but you're impoverishing those around you. The glory of God is part of the biblical vision. Let's talk about the cross of Christ. Christ's death related to God's glory. I love this. If you were, if we were to go back to Exodus, 
Um, and as you're reading through Exodus, that's about the time when you're doing the chronological read through the Bible. That's about the time when you start like losing attention. It's harder to stay there. But don't leave that part of the Bible. It's, it's amazing. Because what you see is, is the glory of God like that passage in Exodus 33. The glory of God in the Old Testament is inseparable from a substitutionary sacrifice. It's, it's inseparable from blood being shed. Get this. Here's the story of Exodus and into Leviticus. Okay? Um, Israel comes out into the wilderness and they're at a mountain. God in his glory is enveloping, swallowing up the mountain. The cloud is over the mountain. Lightning is striking. There is radiant glory. The ground is shaking. The, the mountain is dwarfed under the glory of God. And Israel is out settled in the plain next to it. And God says, don't let anybody come up and even touch this mountain. Don't even let your animals come and touch this mountain. They will die. Because God was there. Moses gets an exception and he gets to go up. And he goes up and he writes down a bunch of stuff God says. He comes back down into all of the tents of Israel and he says, guess what? So he's talking, they're all looking past him. And the glory of God is swallowing up the mountain. He says, God wants me to make a tent. And he's going to dwell in it in the midst of all of our tents. They're looking at the mountain... And they're thinking, that's going to go inside a tent in the midst of us? And that is exactly what God wanted to do. And everywhere inside that tent would be shed blood. The glory of God, you cannot talk about it for long without getting to the blood of a substitute. From the earliest pages of your Bible. That is what it is all about. You also can't talk about the shed blood of a substitute without very quickly saying how much God is glorified by that. The glory of God will lead you to a substitute's shedding of his blood and talking about the shedding of the great substitute's blood will make you want to glorify God. Well, what are we talking about? And obviously the the ultimate substitute is Jesus Christ. Um, He is the one that all of the other substitutes pointed to and away from themselves to him and the shedding of his great blood for the forgiveness of sins of many. When we talk about the cross of Christ, what are we not saying? Um, we're, we're not interested in a Christless cross. We're not talking about a relic, right? We're also not trying to diminish an empty tomb, talking about the cross without emphasis upon um, the, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but, but what we're emphasizing is, is bloody substitutionary sacrifice. That is at the heart of the Bible. Um, the Old Testament type of this is Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. Uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Let's look at that one. The New Testament teaching on... And I love Hebrews 9. Hebrews 8 and 9 It will tie together your Old Testament with your New Testament very well. <clears throat> Hebrews 9 verse 18 Hebrews 9 verse 18 therefore the writer says even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood see even the Mosaic covenant was inaugurated with blood like the new new covenant is inaugurated with blood 
Verse 19, For when every commandment had been spoken to Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats and the water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The only way a believer in Israel knew forgiveness was to somehow look at the blood of a sacrifice and trust that God was wiping away sin. We know that that blood of that sacrifice does not take away sin, but that blood of that sacrifice pointed to the better blood and the better sacrifice of the one who does take away sin. Verse um, 21, uh, where did I leave off? Blood. Oh, verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In other words, what happened back in Exodus <clears throat> was Moses, when making a, a tent, was making a copy of what heaven was, what the presence of God was like, is temple-like. And so he was making a copy, and it had to be cleansed and set apart. For Christ, verse 24, did not enter a holy place made with hands. He didn't go into the temple. He didn't go into the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, which was a mere copy of the true one, but he went into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Jesus would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once... At the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested. He's been revealed to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. There it is. That is what happened at the cross. He substituted himself as a sacrifice. He substituted himself as a bloody sacrifice in order to take away sin. To put away sin. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment... So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So there you have what the cross of Christ is all about. I'm going to give you a theological phrase that I give you every single time when we talk about this. Do you guys know what it is? Penal Substitutionary Atonement. P-E-N-A-L. Penal Substitutionary Atonement. Okay? Um, you do not need to say those words to somebody when you're sharing the gospel. You might scare them away. They may not know what you're talking about. But it is a great outline in your own mind. And when you are preaching the gospel to yourself, remember those three words. There is a penalty that had to be paid. And that penalty could only be paid by a substitute. And that substitute who shed his blood to pay my penalty atoned for my sin. That means in atoning for my sin, he took my sin and he carried it away from God's presence. That means the wrath and the judgment that I deserved, he drank that cup and he satisfied God's judgment. Atonement means that he reconciled me to God when I was still an enemy. So a penalty had to be paid by a substitute so that I could have my sins atoned for. When you share the gospel, it's that simple. There's a penalty that has to be paid for your sin. But good news, there's a substitute who will stand in your place to atone for your sin, to carry your sin out of the sight of God, to satisfy the judgment of God. Practically speaking, what does this mean? The cross of Christ 
just like the glory of God, the first thing you better do before you do anything else with this is you should soak in uh, this gospel of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Look for a, the bloody sacrifice of a substitute all throughout all the pages of your Bible. Soak in that first. Um, Paul says in Galatians 6, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way you can boast in it is if you're soaking in it, if you're exposing your heart to it. Um, position yourself to see that every day. Um, thirdly, transformation of life by the Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is probably one of the most misunderstood um, roles. Um, his primary role in the Bible is to apply the work of Christ at the cross to the one that God is saving. Um, penal substitutionary atonement in the hands of the Holy Spirit is an absolutely powerful thing. Um, and when that takes place, a massive salvation occurs in the sinner that God is saved. Salvation is not reduced to fire insurance like many talk about it. In other words, yeah, I walked the aisle or whatever, signed the card, I, I, I prayed the prayer, whatever it is, and I get to go to heaven now. I, I'm still living like hell on earth, but I don't get to go to hell, I get to go to heaven. That is fire insurance, and that is not why, what Jesus did as a substitute to pay a penalty to atone for sins. The Holy Spirit takes that penal substitutionary sacrifice and he applies it to the life of the one that God is saving. And amazing things happen. Let me talk about salvation in three tenses. Let's talk about your past. Um, when you turn around today and you look at your past, what the Spirit of God did in applying the, the substitutionary work of Jesus to your life, what he did is he washed away all of your sins. There, when you look back, God sees none of anything that you were and that you did without Christ. It's all been washed away. Your sins are forgiven. When you turn around and you look to the future, the Spirit of God applying the work of Christ to your life, you have the hope of heaven before you. You get to anticipate all of the, the, the amazing, whatever it's going to be, to finally see Jesus face to face. But you don't live in the past anymore, and you don't live in heaven yet. You live here today. So what the gospel saved me from my past, the gospel is going to give me an amazing future. But what does the gospel do today? That is what the Holy Spirit's role is primarily revealed in Scripture. It is to help you today apply the gospel to your life today so that you can continue to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. You see, this is what we don't understand as Christians today. I understand my past. I, everything I was is, is forgiven and I get to go to heaven, but I really don't know what to do today. No, you do know what to do today. If you read your Bible and you focus on the Spirit of God, He is there to help you grow and to become sanctified in your life. Let's talk about it in terms of sin. In the past, sin's penalty was paid when the Spirit of God applied the work of the gospel to your life. Let's talk about the future. Sin's presence is wiped away completely and finally and forever. Today... Let's talk about it in terms of sin and a P word. What is it today? Sin's power is broken. In your past, sin's penalty taken care of. In the future, sin's presence completely gone. Today, sin's power broken. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now you can be a knucklehead and you can go back and you can say yes to sin and submit yourself to its power, but you will never be chained to it like a slave again. Why? Because the Spirit of God applied the gospel to your life, transformed you, and is continuing to transform you. All right? Now, you need to understand a little something about the relationship between regeneration and progressive sanctification. This is just a... I'll try to keep this really brief so we understand this. Um, Regeneration, or being born again, is what the Spirit of God does. You are born again by the Spirit. Jesus taught Nicodemus that. Okay, that's Old Testament salvation. Regeneration is not a New Testament idea. It's not a Johnny-come-lately idea. He, in fact, he chides Nicodemus. You don't know this? Okay? So, the Spirit, when he rebirths you, that is an event. That is an event that has one set of fingerprints on it. It is God's. You, let's talk about your physical birth. You didn't help yourself get born. Okay? There was only one person helping you get born. And that was mom, right? So, in your spiritual birth... There's only one set of fingerprints upon it. It is God and it is an event. What flows from that is a process. Okay? An event, regeneration, then makes a progress, a process. It's called progressive sanctification. On that, how many sets of fingerprints are on it? Two. God's by His Spirit, but also now what? Mine and yours. You Look, your wife will not sanctify you. She wants to sanctify you. Your mom wants to sanctify you. Your children want to sanctify you. But they can't sanctify you. Because you are the only one who can pick up the commands of Jesus and do them for you. And you will not become progressively more holy if you do not pick up the commands of Christ and obey. I mean, think about it. That would be saying you don't have to obey, but you still somehow become more holy. What? That makes no sense, right? So where all of the errors come in, I shouldn't say all of them, where most of the errors come in to Christianity is when you take that event and that process and you mix them up. In other words, if you do these things as a process, God will save you. So now regeneration becomes a process. And there's how many sets of fingerprints on that? Two. I'm doing works and God is helping and I get saved. Okay, that's probably not where we live. We probably live with the errors on this side that we've got to deal with where we're at, which is sanctification becomes an event. In other words, there should have been two sets of fingerprints on it, but the Christian oftentimes does this let go and let God. And see, I'm just trusting in God to become more holy. Well, yeah, you know what? You better put your hands on the commands because you will never be a holy man or a holy woman without actually obeying. That is what ushers out of regeneration. Equipping is there for it. Old Testament revelation and anticipation of this is everywhere. You can see it in the New Testament as well. I'm going to hurry a little bit here. I'm going to go to Titus chapter 3. Take a look at that. Titus chapter 3, the New Testament teaching on regeneration. Here's a great passage. Paul says there in verse 3 of Titus 3, We also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. And He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. 
He didn't save us with something that had two sets of fingerprints on it. But He has saved us according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That is a Trinitarian passage. The Holy Spirit was poured out by Him, by God the Father, through Jesus Christ. There's, where is God at work? Where is the God in His triune greatness at work? He is at work saving you and me. Praise God. What a great God and Savior. Practically speaking, what does this mean? Um, same thing as before. I think a good place to start is daily position yourself to see your need for the Holy Spirit. To see your need for the Spirit of God. To express to God in prayer that you are dependent upon Him to grow more and more into the image of Christ. You can write down 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we are being transformed from one level of glory to another into the image of Christ by the Lord who is the Spirit. We should not miss this primary foundational work of applying the cross of Jesus Christ in time to the sinner being saved. That's the work of the Spirit. We should not miss His constant support for sanctification. If you've been trying to grow in Christ, and if you've been trying to become more holy, and if you've been trying to turn away from sin, and if you've been trying to grow your affections for Jesus Christ, but you have not been thinking about the role of the Holy Spirit, you are you're diminishing your efforts. Because that is who the Spirit of God is. That is what He is here for. That we would walk by Him. Let's talk about our gospel purpose in Christ, number two. What do we mean by the, um, a gospel purpose? It appears in the New Testament, <clears throat> and I encourage you as you read through the Gospels this year, you can um, look for these three key activities of Jesus with His disciples. Jesus is drawing in disciples. Jesus is then building up His disciples. And then Jesus is sending out his disciples. So drawing in, building up, and sending out. We want to be a part of this. So you've got a trinity or a a triad in the the biblical vision that is the Godhead. And then there is a triad in our gospel purpose, which is action that we participate in in the gospel mission. Let's talk about drawing in first. Um, I've got a blank there for you to fill in. Drawing in is uniquely God's sovereign and saving work. It is God's sovereign and saving work. Look at John chapter 6, verse 44. You're familiar with these passages, I know. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the kind of drawing in we're talking about. The drawing in that God the Father does. Um, John chapter 6, verse 65. For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. That is what we are after. Um, by drawing in, we're not talking about um, being satisfied if we draw sinners into a program. Or that we drew sinners into our worship service. Or that we're satisfied that we drew... That, let me talk just about you. Let's say at your work you want to do a workplace Bible study. By this drawing in, we're not merely talking about that you're satisfied that you got some unbelievers to come to your workplace Bible study. That's great. But that's not what we're talking about, right? What we're talking about is the unique work that only God can do when He and His sovereignty draws them savingly so into Jesus Christ through faith in the gospel, right? 
We're not satisfied for men or women or boys or girls to be drawn into summer camp or anything to a small group, to a worship service, and yet have them still not believe in Jesus Christ. If an unbeliever participates in a program or anything like that, look, that's great. Praise God they're here, but we're laboring for a drawing in that is more than that, right? Another blank for you to fill in here. Jesus crucified is God's unique object of attraction. Um, if you just turn a couple more pages to John chapter 12, verse 32, you'll see this. <clears throat> if I am lifted up from the earth, Jesus says, I will draw all men to myself. And by lifted up there, he's referring to his crucifixion. Listen to these verses. 1 Corinthians 1.18 The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross is the power of God. What's the power of God? The word of the cross. But what do you have to lift up to see men be drawn to Christ? You have to lift Jesus up, who's crucified. Uh, listen to um, 1 Corinthians 1, to 24. There's a portion in there that says, To those who are called, Christ crucified is the power of God. First uh, Corinthians 2, 1-5, Your faith must not rest on the wisdom of men, on the cleverness of men, but your faith, your salvation, must rest on the power of God in the cross and in the gospel. Practically speaking, when you think about your own personal evangelism, where you work, where you go to school, your family, with your own children, with your parents, with your neighbors, whatever, when you think about your own personal evangelism, ask yourself this question, what am I lifting up? What am I lifting up? If as a church we lift up programs or events that we do, they don't have power. They don't. There's only one thing that has power. If you, in your personal evangelism, if you lift up for them companionship, I'm just going to befriend this sinner, and I am going to love on them, and I'm going to spend time with them, I'm going to take on their interests, and these all sound like really good things to do, and I'm not saying don't do them. I'm not poo-pooing them. But do they have power? They do not have power. You know what I can do as a dad witnessing and bringing the gospel to bear on my children? I can lift up being liked by my children. I can view that as if if I'm liked by them, no conflict, everything's happy, good things are going on spiritually. There's no power in being liked by anybody. Look, should you, is the goal to be hated by people? No, that's not what we're talking about. Is the goal to um, not develop friendships with unbelievers? No, the goal is to do that. But what has power? Ask yourself, what has power? What if you befriend a sinner and you go and you do everything that they love to do and you do it for three months and they just seem to really like you? Does that tell you anything spiritually? It tells you nothing. Until you what? Until you lift up Jesus Christ crucified. That you have a penalty that must be paid by a substitute to atone for your sin. When they respond to that, now you'll know. Now you'll know what's going on. So why do programs exist? To lift up what? The power of God in the gospel, etc. Building up. What is building up? Um, I'm going to go quickly through this one. You can write down Ephesians. I think you've got there. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Especially verse 16. Um, 
what we want you to think about is usually as Christians we have no trouble thinking about I need to be personally built up my life is uh, one in Christ that must be edified it must be built up and that's usually about all we think of but Ephesians 4 is about not just you being built up but it's actually primarily about Jesus Christ building up the body and then how your life fits into that as a member of that body Chapter 4, verse 16 says, um, It is the body that causes the growth of the body. But you, as an individual part of that body, you must work properly so that as your life comes up and connects with another life, there's a connection of power and supply that holds the whole body together and the body grows. So the challenge for you that we would want to put before you is that to not think less about getting yourself built up but think more about your life being plugged into the lives of others in the body so that the body grows. That's what God is after in this world, to grow the body of Christ. And yes, that will not happen unless you are growing. But if you grow personally but never attach yourself to the body of Christ, number one, you're not really being built up. Because God never designed an individual Christian to be a lone ranger. But you're a finger, you're an eye, you're an ear, you're a hand. And you must be connected to the body. Okay, so there's your idea of being built up. Focus on the body being built up. Get your life plugged into the body of Christ here. I'd love to help you with that if you want ideas and have some need for doing that. Lastly, the third part of the triad, sending out. There's a connection between drawing in between building up and sending out. If you focus on all three, it'll help you as a church to, it'll help us as a church to not um, get lopsided. Look, um, the illustration that came to my mind when I was thinking about this earlier this week, you know those big exercise balls, right? Can you imagine trying to stand on it? I mean, you would never just be standing still, would you? It's like a unicycle. You're you're constantly having to shift and and make sure that you're thinking of several things at once. Um, Focusing on these three things should constantly keep you moving, drawing in. Are we drawing? Yeah, we're drawing in. Let's focus on drawing. Okay, we're drawing in. That's really good. Wait a minute, wait. Once they're drawn in, we've got to be built up. we got, okay, we're building up, we're building up, we're building up. Okay, wait a minute. These people are ready to go. we got to send them out. Well, wait a minute. What are they sending out? Because well, we're going to draw more in. And so you're, you're constantly, these three things overlap, and they should keep us as a church from becoming just lopsided. Um, every church is lopsided. Grace Bible Church is lopsided, and we are fighting all of the time to not be lopsided. Um, it doesn't matter what season you go through in the life of a church. Uh, it may be, have a huge evangelistic thrust that's going on, and it's diminishing other important elements like building up and sending out. Or it's sending out missionaries like crazy, um, but you're creating a vacuum behind you because you're not building up more people to replace those people. So it doesn't matter. In the life of the church, there needs to be a constant focus on these three things. Um, There is no way that you can view yourself as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, without viewing yourself as a sent one. I've got several um, statements there for you. God has always been a sending God. The the very earliest, when he reveals himself in the Bible, uh, like to Moses, I I send you. He said to Jeremiah, I send you. He said to Isaiah, I'm sending you. Whom shall I send? Uh, Ezekiel, I'm sending you. John was sent. 
John the Baptist, that is, and so forth. Jesus Christ says that in the Gospel of John, he was sent by his Father. Uh, As you read through the Gospel of John, look for the word send or sent. You'll find it used over 50 times. 22 chapters, is that right, in John? 21. Thank you, Scott. 21. 50 uses of the word send or sent. I wonder what Jesus is trying to say. Um, The Holy Spirit is said to be sent by the Father, and Jesus says that he'll send the Spirit. So get this. God the Father is ascending God. God the Son was sent. The Son sends the Spirit. The Father sends the Spirit. So what's the triune greatness of God about? Sending. Okay? I wonder what disciples of that Jesus will be like. Wouldn't it be odd if we weren't sent once? But they all were sending, ascending God, but we're not sent once. We are witnesses, are we not? We testify of Jesus Christ. And so we are sent ones as well. Practically speaking, how would I encourage you in this? Think of yourself as a sent one every day. Before you walk out the door, put something on your door. Put something on the dash of your car. Put something somewhere that reminds you that as you go out into your day, you are a sent one of Jesus Christ. You're on a mission for Jesus Christ in the gospel. Now, it's a gospel purpose that's revealed in in this triad, and the gospel is central to all three of these. How do you draw anybody in without the gospel? You don't. How do you build up any Christian without the gospel? You don't. What on earth would you send somebody out to do if you don't send them with the gospel? You see, it's a gospel purpose, and the gospel is central to all three. All right, so there is the biblical vision and um, the gospel purpose of Christ. Um, what I want to do is I want to spend the next 30 minutes talking about um, how Build and Wellspring fit into all of this. So you are more than welcome. I'm going to keep talking. You're more than welcome to get up and dismiss yourself if you need to to go get something more, um, but I'm just going to keep going. Do you, are there any questions that you have at this point? Does anybody want to ask a question, ask clarifi- clarification on something? You're more than welcome to do that too. Mr. Drake. I'm kind of going back, way back to the beginning. Okay. When you explain what the glory of God was, that was super clear. Can you explain a little bit more what you mean by glorify God? Yeah. Glorify God would be like to, to praise Him, to please Him, to honor Him, uh, that you would want Him to be seen, to be great through what you say and do in life. Now, the way that you. That's why I, I think it's important to talk about. Soaking in the glory of God first before you endeavor to try to honor God with your life. Praise God with your life. Please God with your life and what you say. Because if you drink in his weightiness, his overwhelming glory and and impressiveness, especially in his son Jesus, that is fuel to want him to be seen to be that God through what you say, through what you do, through what you choose not to say, through what you choose not to do. Those kinds of things. So that's what I'm talking about. Is that helpful? Yes. Good question. Yes, Bill. What we're not saying. Yeah, we're not saying. What, what I meant there was we're not talking about a, like a Christless cross. We're not interested in a relic. Um, we, we've been. That's been brought to our attention before. You talk about the cross, the cross, the cross, and we're like, no, actually we're not talking about merely the cross. We're talking about a substitute sacrifice. It happened to be on a cross. 
So that's what we're talking about. And we're also not saying that the, the resurrection is not important. We're not trying to focus merely on uh, the cross to the exclusion of um, the resurrection. The reality is that the resurrection does not mean anything if a sinless substitute did not shed his blood. It has to be that one who's raised from the dead. So that's what we're talking about. Tom. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I would know what else to, to say other than God simply determined that God simply determined that um, an animal's life blood the life is in the blood would have to lose its life and the evidence that it lost its life would be its blood and he wanted to see that and it had to be um, an innocent victim uh, because the one who was guilty his blood would not atone and so God instituted that and that was not with animal sacrifice that was not the first thing that was on God's mind the first thing on God's mind in eternity past was his son's blood but he revealed that in stages didn't he through the Bible and so um, ultimately uh, you have everything in the Old Testament pointing away from itself to um, as copies to really a lamb standing as if slain um, with all of his people around him in glory um, <clears throat> so I, I don't think there's really a I could be wrong I don't think there's really anything mystical or m- more magical or something about that than that it's, it's just a, a substitute's lifeblood shed in the place of the one who's worshipping that's my understanding anyway. So if you got something else in mind or more, we can talk about that. Be good. Okay. Good. All right. Let's move on and talk about uh, Build Wellspring and GBC's vision and purpose. I've got uh, four questions for you. Number one <coughs> How do Build and Wellspring fit within the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church? I would say it this way. First, it fits within the biblical vision in this sense. That um, if the glory of God makes you think of the cross of Christ and then a changed life by the Holy Spirit, there must be spiritual disciplines put into place by faith that you must act upon to become transformed. You must discipline yourself for that change. And Build and Wellspring seek to put before you some spiritual disciplines that will help you grow in your transformation of life. So I think Build and Wellspring fit in in that first section that way. Uh, maybe the more obvious connection is is if you think of drawing in, building up, or sending out, you probably would think more obviously of building up. Build and Wellspring um, exists to really build up the, the believing man or woman. Um, Build and Wellspring are not designed primarily as an evangelistic ministry or program. That is not to say that um, some a man or woman could not get saved thinking that they are a, a believer, coming and hearing about the things we're talking about and going, oh my goodness, I'm not a real believer. Um, I repent and I believe and, and that they could, but um, we do not design this ministry for that purpose. 
Um, this ministry is designed for professing men and women who have made Grace Bible Church their home. We want to see them be equipped with these spiritual disciplines so that their lives are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And by focusing on what we do here in Build to be built up and, and in Wellspring to be built up, um, we're not um, ignorant of sending out. Uh, in fact, we have an explosion, I think, of coming, and, and that is in place now, of, of people who want to be sent out, be sent out just where they live, sent into their households, sent into their neighborhoods, sent into their workplaces, be sent out even more formally by the church to plant churches, to do missions. Um, so our hope is it really covers the full gamut of what Grace Bible Church is about, but um, primarily it is a building up ministry. What uh, Within this first question, Maybe a brief word about how Build and Wellspring even relate to other ministries in the church. Um, what Build and Wellspring are after in terms of um, these spiritual disciplines that we'll talk about in a moment, um, getting them to be working um, like a well-oiled machinery uh, machine in the life of a believer, that will only help you participate more fully in small groups. And it will only help you minister more faithfully with, to the children in our church, to students in student ministries. Uh, it, if you do set up and tear down, it'll help you to care well for the other men and women that you do set up and tear down with. Um, so it kind of is a um, runs through the heart of everything we do in the church. If you've been in Builder Wellspring for a year, you'll understand a lot about what Grace Bible Church is about. Okay. Secondly, second question: How do Builder Wellspring build up believing men and women of Grace Bible Church? We say that it is a building up ministry. How does it specifically do that? There are in Builder Wellspring. Three core foundational spiritual disciplines. The men have actually three more because you know men just need more instruction than women do. But there are three primary or core foundational disciplines. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to describe them to you first without their titles. And then I'm going to give you their titles at the end. So if you've been through it, you know what I'm talking about. But um, I want to talk about it conceptually first. Here's the first core discipline, the foundational discipline. Um, It's all about how you... As a believer in Jesus Christ, worshipfully pursue God while your Bible is open. The first discipline of build and wellspring is how you as a believer worshipfully draw near to God when your Bible is open. I'm trying to think always of new ways to say it. Um, if you draw near to God, or if you open your Bible... And you are not worshiping the God of that Bible. There is something wrong. If you open your Bible, but your affections for Jesus Christ are not fueling you to come to that Bible, and are not even grown and enlarged because you were in that Bible, something's wrong. If your Bible is open, but your fear of God is not growing, something's wrong. So the first spiritual discipline that we're talking about is when your Bible is open, what you are there for, you need to have a good answer. You should open your Bible in the morning and what you could say prayerfully is, why am I here? God, why am I here right now? I am here because I must have you, God. I must know you. I I want my affections for you and your son to grow. I, I need your spirit's power in my life to be what you called me to be, etc. and so forth. Does that make sense? It is not I'll tell you what I have discovered in my own life. 
It is not safe to assume that because I'm a Christian and because my Bible is open that all of that is happening. It is not safe for me to assume that that is happening. It takes discipline to make sure that's happening in my life. And if that's a new thought for you, you're going to get a whole year walking with a bunch of people who are discovering that themselves. It takes self-control to open your Bible and say, this right now is about worship of God. This is about expressing love for God. I need to grow in that self-control. Okay, So there's your first foundational discipline. There's a second one that flows from that, and it's about this. It's purposefully impacting your household relationships first before any others. It's purposefully impacting your household relationships before you impact any others. Becoming a, a woman or a man who thirsts for God in and through his word, you should impact first those you live with. They, the ones that you live with in your home, if it's your, if it's your mom or your dad, if it's your parents, if it's your children, if it's your husband, if it's your wife, if it's your roommates, um, you should be first concerned that they would be impacted by the kind of man or the kind of woman you're becoming. If you live all by yourself as a single guy, single woman, I encourage you to open the doors of your home and get people into your home as often as possible so that they can be impacted by you. Let them come into your household. Let them see that there's an aroma of God's word coming off you because you can't think of living without the word of God to get the God of the word. Um, I talk about this a lot with the the, the single men in our church. I like to have this conversation in front of the single women in the church. Um, I tell the guys this, ladies. Let's see, how can I put it? Maybe I'll put it this way. If, if, if If a single man, believing man, came and he showed interest in you, young lady, one of the first places, if you asked me, what should I do? Give me some advice. I'd say, go talk to his roommates. Go talk to his roommates. Is he living at home with his parents? Go talk to his parents. Does he have siblings in his house? Go talk to his younger brother. Because um, if that young man is leapfrogging over his household relationships, but trying to give you the impression that when you guys are under the same roof, it's all good. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be your dream come true, honey. You get to live with me. Well, you know what? There's people who already live with him and you should go find out what kind of an impact he's making in his household because he's been laying down a pattern of living with those knucklehead roommates and then you're going to step in. God have mercy on you, ladies. Find the right guy. Be picky. Guys, grab a clue if you need to. Focus on your household relationships first, okay? We've all seen in the church the devastation that comes because a man was leapfrogging over his own heart and how he interacted with the Word of God and he was leapfrogging over his household, but boy, was he involved in ministry and boy, did he show lots of promise. He was a sharp theological thinker and then his wife leaves him and his kids hate his guts 
and he fails morally and we scratch our heads going, what happened? Well, it's easy. Go back to the very first discipline. When he opened his Bible, he wasn't concerned to know God. And he, and he missed the people he lived with. It, it makes sense. And that obviously leads you to the third core discipline. Um, now you're ready to minister to people outside of your household, right? And what you represent yourself to be out there while you're with them is what you've been representing yourself to be in the household with your roommates, your family, your wife, your husband. And it's what you've been when nobody is watching but your Bible is open early in the morning and you're just crying out to God, I I must know you. Meet with me. Do not assume that because you're a Christian and because you have a Bible that all of this is okay. Do not assume. It takes discipline. That's what Build and Wellspring are all about is helping you to practice these disciplines. What are the titles of these three disciplines? Number one, discipline one is the heart. The way we talk about it is shepherd your heart to the word of God to know the God of the word. Discipline two is the home. Don't leapfrog your household to get to other more important things, to get to work, to get to relationships. Uh, the home. Third discipline is the ministry. It's your ministry outside your home. So heart, home, and ministry. Third question, why does discipline one, the heart, hold such a primary place in building and wellspring? I want to spend a little bit more time on discipline one. Why does that one come first? Um, If you are a man or a woman full of of worship of God, full of love for Jesus Christ, and you are opening your Bible and you are expressing to God, the very fact that your Bible is open is an expression of your need for God and His Spirit in your life. And the Word of God is your lifeline connection to God every day. If you are that kind of person, wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever people come into your life, you will be ready. That doesn't mean you'll be perfect. But you will be more ready in that condition than you are if you don't shepherd your heart to God and His Word. And if you're ignoring the people in your household and then all of a sudden an opportunity gets dropped in your lap in front of you, you think you're going to be sharp for it? You're not going to have integrity for it. Everything in your life becomes hollow. Look, I can tell you this from my own experience because I ebb and flow with this as a as a Christian. Uh, there are times I do this well in my life and there's times where I'm like, wait a minute, what have I been doing when the Bible's been open in my life and why are things such a, why is there so much strife in my home right now? But I, I can tell you, my life is hollow and vain and empty, even as a Christian, when these spiritual disciplines are not firing on all cylinders. And you'll find the same to be true in your own life. So what do we mean more specifically, though, by the heart? The, the better question to ask is, what does the Bible mean by the word Heart. Um, What does the Bible mean by the word heart? Um, It is this. The heart is who you are inwardly before God. The heart is who you are inwardly before God. The heart is the inner man. It is the inner woman before God. I love 1 Peter 3, 4. You can write it down. Ladies, for you, it is especially helpful and appropriate because it describes the woman there as the... It is the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart. There is a person you at the heart level that cannot be seen because the outer stuff is in the way. Okay? Um, Take away the physical body and do you still exist? Yes. You still exist in heart form, in soul form. The inner man or the inner woman is housed within the body 
but it is not dependent upon the body for existence. Your body will die and you will continue on. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Though our outer man is decaying, that's what you see out here, the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. That's the Christian life. This out here is falling apart and it is getting worse, but what is on the inside is to be getting renewed every day. So what is your heart? Here's another way to say it. It's you. Your heart is you. It's who you are inwardly. What is your heart? Uh, what isn't your heart? It's not a piece of you. It's not a portion of you. It's not like your hand is a part of you. Nobody looks at their hand and says, that's me. No, that's not the totality of me. You put this with everything else, that's the totality of me. But your heart is not represented in Scripture like your hand is. You don't give God your heart like it's a piece of you. Okay? You don't trust in God with all of your hand and leaning not on your own understanding. No, you're trusting in God with all that you are inwardly before God. Right? English isn't helpful. The English language isn't helpful. We say stuff like, put your heart into it. What do we mean? Put some passion into it. Put some, play with emotion. Play with heart. Well, that's a piece of me, but that's not me. Okay, so what are we saying? What we aim for in discipline one is what we call shepherding your heart. Counseling your heart. Directing your heart. That means shepherding you. Control you. Direct your inner man. Direct your inner woman before God. And primarily you're leading your inner person to the word of God, to worshipfully meet with him there, to lovingly meet with him there, to express your need and desire for Jesus Christ. The whole reason that you can even do that right now is because God saved you. It's because God saved you. You are in a condition right now in which you can do that. You can control yourself and direct yourself and shepherd yourself. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about... um, what biblical salvation is like a, a little bit more here that kind of picks up on what we talked about back in the biblical vision part. But it, it, I'm going to give you an intro today to this and then Build and Wellspring are going to focus on this for really the, the, the greater part of the, the rest of the year. Um, I want to talk to, to you about who you now are in Christ at the heart level so you understand this discipline. Uh, let's talk first about your life over here before Christ, before God saved you before you repented and believed, before God somehow united you with Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead. Way back then, you, the Bible says, were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? Ephesians 2. Your inner person before God was dead before God in sin. At the inner man level, the Bible says that you were only one thing. You could only be one thing. And that is all united Every piece and portion of you, all of it united together against God in rebellion against Him. Your mind was this way. Your flesh was this way. Indwelling sin was this way. Your heart was this way. All of who you are inwardly was all united in an unmixed condition. Unmixed is the key word. An unmixed condition of rebellion against God. That condition of who you were before Christ... There was nothing in you that wanted to control that and make it holy. That's an unshepherdable condition, the Bible says. 
unshepherdable by you. It's unmixed in sin. Now, let's skip that, or leave that, skip over what we are today, and let's go to the future and go to heaven. In salvation, the body eventually will be, if you die, um, will be separated from your inner man and your inner condition. And that inner man condition will be unmixed again. But unmixed in what? Holiness and righteousness. Nothing but love for Jesus. And that too, that unmixed condition over there will be an unshepherdable condition. You won't need to control yourself, say, oh wait, I'm in heaven, I forgot, no, no sin here. I can't sin today. You're never going to have to think about that again. There will never be a drag on you towards sin anymore. You won't have to say, man, why do I just keep forgetting about Jesus here in heaven? I want, I got to discipline myself to, to get, no, you won't even have to do that because there will be no hindrances. You, you won't have to direct yourself. It will just be. Like it just was over here that you just sinned and resisted God. It will just be that in heaven. There's just one problem. You don't live in either one of those places right now. You live here. You can't... No, no, let, me, let me press this home. As long as you are alive, do you understand this? You cannot be that in heaven. Do you understand that? As long as you live right now, you will not be what your condition will be in heaven. Do you understand? You cannot be perfect. You cannot be that now. It is impossible for you to be that as long as you are alive right now. Do you understand? Do you believe the same thing this way? Do you believe the same thing this way? What you are in this condition that God has made you through the gospel of Jesus Christ that you cannot become what you were. You are called a new creation in Christ. That means you can never go back to an unmixed condition in which all that you ever was was a slave to sin all of the time, constantly rebelling against God. You now can never go back to that if you indeed are in Christ. That is the best news. That's, no, it's not. The, it's good news. The best news is you get to be in heaven with Jesus. Okay? So what then is this condition here? It was unmixed in sin in the past. It is going to be unmixed in holiness and righteousness in the future. This, however, what I am today, is a mixed condition. Mixed. Mixed in sin. Mixed in new desires. I have new desires that I never had before. I desire Jesus Christ. I I am interested in the Word of God. I hate sin. I don't want to be in sin. I love God. I want to see people hear about Jesus and respond to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. I want that. Where did that come from? Well, I've been made new. I even want to obey God. And I have equipping to actually pick up the commands of God and do them. I do. I didn't have it before. It wasn't even an interest. But I have that now. I'm a mixed creature in Christ. But there's still this drag of sin and flesh upon me. And there's turmoil within me. There's turmoil within you. There is a fight in you every day. You ever notice that? When you get out of, when your alarm goes off, if you're trying to think, I've got to get up and read my Bible. Ever, ever notice a fight? Even as you read your Bible? You're at church. You ever notice how much of a fight there is in the car on the way to church? 
but you can think about anything else and everything else there's a fight you know what let me tell you the good news the good news was before you were a Christian there was no fight and let me tell you some other good news in heaven there will be no fight the Christian life is a fight and you may need to reorient all of your thinking about what it means to be a Christian and I hope the Bible will help you to do this but your life is a fight it is I would have not ever thought to do it this way I would have thought just go from unmixed to unmixed and we'll just be done with it and that's great it's wonderful but God derives glory as you fight trusting in him depending upon him a righteous man falls seven times but he gets up that glorifies God and it makes Satan look foolish that he keeps trying but he keeps getting defeated and he keeps trying and he keeps getting defeated sin tries but sin loses sin tries but sin loses and we get to fight what would it be like if you were a soldier and you went out into the battlefield and you went out with no plan and you went out with no weaponry and you didn't uh, have any protection that's a bad bad day what if you got into a boxing ring and there was a vicious opponent who was, all he could think of was knocking you out and you stepped in and you had no gloves on and you had no desire to fight? That's a bad, bad day. What happens if you get up and you enter into your day um, and you do nothing to equip yourself, arm yourself for the day? That is the worst day because we're talking spiritual. You must equip yourself. This condition alone, look, in, before you were in Christ in this unmixed condition there was no reason to bring your heart to the word of God so that you would know the God of the word you, you could not do that yourself you did not have the interest in heaven you will not have to shepherd your heart to the word of God to know the God of the word because you will see him this is the only condition in which the first discipline of build and wellspring even makes sense and really in many ways so much of the Christian life hangs on this if you don't do this, you are going to be impoverished as a believer in Jesus Christ. Last question, question number four. What is the history behind this? Build um, began nine years ago. And really what Build is for the men, just so you ladies know, and this will be helpful for you guys as well, Build is, a, um, is one layer of leadership development in the church for men. God's desire for men in the Bible is that they would be the spiritual leaders of their homes and the spiritual leaders in the church family. And so the build disciplines um, orient the man toward that end. What we are after as a church is really having a harvest of men who will spiritually lead their households and spiritually lead the church. Um, to do that, we've added three other disciplines for the men. Um, discipline four for the men is the qualifications. We put the qualifications for deacon and elder in front of them and tell them to aim at it. Uh, discipline five is what we call the hermeneutic. It's how you interpret the Bible. We want the men to start being to, to think about how to interpret the words um, on the pages of Scripture. And discipline six is what we covered today. It's the vision and the purpose of the church. Uh, these men who are working on these spiritual disciplines don't go to other churches. They go to this church. We want them to understand this church. For nine years, we've been doing that at Grace Bible Church with men in the church, and um, we're going to keep doing it, Lord willing. Um, so how then did we get to have a separate ministry for the women that focuses on the same court, uh, foundational disciplines of the heart, the home, and the ministry? Well, 
after many years of doing build with the men, there was an increasing hunger in the lives of the women. And I want you to turn briefly to Titus chapter 2. I want you to see this for a moment. There was an increasing hunger in the lives of of the women. Husbands and fathers and sons were in their households and they were talking to the women in their households about these core disciplines. Um, but it became clear that we wanted to do something more and have the women do that. God, you know, ladies, I don't know if you know this, but God has a really special, unique ministry for you among women to do in the church. And Titus 2 talks about it. Look at verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands to love their children to be sensible pure workers at home being uh, kind being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored also that the word of God would not be dishonored women interacting with women and instructing women in such a way so that God's word is seen to be an honorable word um Let me just think about older women in the church here. And by the way, in our church, if you're an older woman, it means you're over 30. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, if you're an older woman in the church, think about this with me. If, If as an older woman, you're not shepherding your heart to worship God when your Bible's open. If as an older woman, you're not concerned when your Bible's open that you want to express your love for Jesus Christ, your need for Jesus Christ. What do you have to say to any other woman? And the same is true for the men, obviously. Young ladies, if younger women, if you're not opening your Bible and you're not concerned to worship God when your Bible's open, You're not concerned to express your love and your need for Jesus Christ when your Bible's open. Do you think you're going to listen to an older woman when she comes to you and wants to talk to you about something she sees in your life? Now that's putting it negatively. Positively. What what will happen if you are an older woman to your ministry to these younger women? What will happen if you are shepherding your heart to the Word of God, to know the God of the Word, and you, yourself, as an older woman have been in the pattern of caring for your own household well for years and then you step into the life of a young woman and you say, I'm one beggar trying to help another beggar find the bread but let me tell you what my life has been like as I have shepherded my heart and as I try to take care of my household. Will you listen to me? I mean, what an impact you can make. If you look at those descriptions there in verses 3 to 5 of Titus 2, it's all about your household which is discipline too of build and wellspring. So, my observation, uh, just watching, the, especially the, the women, and it's true for the men as well, but I, I, when I watch the older women caring for the younger women in this church, I, I'm super encouraged. Ladies, we have a whole mentoring ministry that um, Chris Evans um, helps oversee with me, and um, she administrates it, and if you have a desire to meet with an older woman, ask any older woman here in, in Wellspring. If you want to be plugged in with somebody more specifically, husbands, if you, if you think that your wife or your daughter would benefit from that, um, please talk to me. Love to get them connected, and we can tie that in with um, somebody else, okay? All right, that covers everything.
that I wanted to cover. So, and I was only three minutes late as opposed to taking ten extra minutes on Thursday with the ladies. So, by the way, do you know that there on Thursdays there's, a, there's another group of about 25 women? 35? 35 women on Thursdays do Wellspring as well. There's, they have child care there for their, for their kiddos. So um, 35, and there's 25 of you. That's what, I can't add, 60. There's 40. I think there's about 100 men and women in building Wellspring this year. Something like that. So praise God. Let me pray, and then we'll dismiss. Ladies, you then are going to take some food with you probably and make your way down to the library. You can follow the ladies. Guys, we're just going to stay put, but we'll have a little five-minute break, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the changed life that your spirit brings and continues to bring as we progress in our holiness, as we rely upon your strength, rely upon your grace, and as we obey your word. Lord, would you make us into a holy church, a church full of men and women who love your Son and who desire to obey him. Lord, improve and build on our our ministry to one another in this church so that we care well for one another. Bless the efforts, Lord, that we're going to take this year and make this year in Wellspring and in Build. We pray that, God, if you do not come and superintend these, these efforts, Lord, it'll be a waste. So please come and meet with us and cause our time together to be fruitful so that your Son is glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, nice job. You stood up to the um, fire hose and you still came down to the second part. So that's awesome. As Scott says, it's a fire hose and we're all going to get wet. But then we just dry each other off. So it was a lot this morning, uh, but I hope it's helpful to kind of get that big picture of how Wellspring fits within Grace Bible Church. So let me pray, and we will cover cover some Wellspring-specific details. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the teaching that we had through Scott. Father, thank you for saving us through your son Jesus and then making us members of his body together. Father, I I lift before you this ministry, and I pray that you would be pleased to bring forth much fruit in each of our lives individually, in our relationships with each other, in our homes, and as a church. Father, you, you are our treasure. Thank you for giving us yourself in the gospel through your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is not really a typical Wellspring, obviously. Um, Today we're on the build schedule, so we will finish at 9.15, but typically we'll start teaching at 7 and we'll wrap up by 9. This is just a public service announcement. If you have a name badge holder from last year or maybe from the retreat or something, if you have an extra one, just if you would bring those back and give them back to Allie or leave them at the materials table, those are things that we can recycle for women's ministry. Um, And then like Scott mentioned, the um, little binder pops. Who would think that that makes the recording really hard to hear? So it's helpful for the recording if we don't pop our binders during the lecture. You learn something new all the time. Okay. So we'll cover some details, and then we'll get a chance to um, break up and meet our discussion groups. And then 
You're, a couple of the discussion groups will meet across the hall. So this year at 915, if each leader would just close your group in prayer. Um, and then if we, I don't think we need to reset anything in here, but if we do, maybe pop back in here and see if there's anything that needs to be reset. And then this week we'll need to go down. And if you brought food, be sure you go back and claim that and take it home. And if you have time to help us clean up, that would be great. Um, what I'd like to do really quickly, just so that we all know each other's name, there aren't that many of us, is go around and just share our name and share if you could have one day of any kind of weather, just one day. Doesn't that, you don't have to move there, but just one day of any kind of weather, what would that be? First thing that pops into your head. So I'm Sarah, and it's a toss-up, but maybe because I grew up in Colorado, I have to say a blizzard. Like, you know, or you can't, well, just because you can't go anywhere, and you have to stay home and drink hot chocolate. So, so just. I'm uh, Jessica Rowling, and I would like to Southern California. Okay, sunshine. I'm Terry Johnson, and I would like Southern California as well, only a little bit more in Charlie's. <laughs> <laughs> An anger clean bird, and I would like anywhere where there's a warm, tropical breeze. Ooh. I'm Lori Johnson, and I just read it back away. Rain, nice. Rain, okay. <laughs> nice. What did you say? Uh, like really fast. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm healthy breath, and um, I think I'd like a cloudy day, like Okay. And I'm Susan Becker, and I love a sunny day about I think that's a great <laughs> idea. Made to order. <laughs> this, is, this is your wish. Thank you. 
started off like a bedroom walk, we just was like eating on the patio and being mm -hmm. and then someone was being fall. So it like started off. I like all the moods associated with our perfect weather day. It's nice. Okay, well that's that's um it's just nice to get to know a little something about everybody. Um all right, sorry, I'm trying to make sure I don't repeat things that Scott already said. But for those of you who don't know, I'm Sarah Demarest. And um, this year for Wellspring, Lori Cantla, most of you know her, but she, she's our, always our hospitality lady, except she's in Croatia this month. So she won't be with us till October, but she'll also be doing some of the teaching and will teach. Um, we'll have a couple more elder teach days. Um, we also have Megan Johnson right here, and she is our food coordinator. Now, just to clarify, um, I know that for Build, the guys sometimes kind of go all out, and it almost feels like a little pressure if you're the wife. Like, you don't want to let your husband down and show up with bagels, although that's usually what my husband shows up with. Um, so we keep low expectations here, okay? <laughs> no hot food, just, you know, a little snack, some fruit, some bread, something like that. Um, so Megan made this nice sheet. We, she designed this just to sign up for next week, and we probably only need about three people. Plan, you know, if you each plan enough for about ten people, that should be good. Um, and then maybe next time we can have a, a sign-up sheet with dates on it, and we'll fill out the rest of the year. But then if you sign up, um, Megan will send you an email or a text to remind you. And so if you sign up, you also might want to jot it down on your schedule. So let's see. Does any table want to volunteer to Take this. Maybe I'll send it over here. Um, and if you brought, I don't have a pen. You'll have to provide your own pen. But if uh, either get that back to me or back to Megan when you're done with it. We just need once it has three names, you can quit passing it. Yes, Megan. And did you get indicate which method of contact you prefer? If you prefer me to email you or text you, that way I will just know and I'll do it that way. Okay. That clear. Okay. Let her know if you prefer to be notified by email or text. All right. Um, Allie takes care of our materials and the recording and website and things, so you can check with her with, for questions about that. And I, last year we had somebody who came early and made coffee for us and for Build, and that sweet sister is now serving on Thursday. Um, and so Scott Maxwell is making coffee, which just kind of makes me sad that he's making coffee for us. Um, but he says it's no trouble. Um, but if we have anybody who would be willing to wash the coffee pot afterwards, that is just not a favorite job. So if you are looking for a way to serve, you just need to be able to stay afterwards for 15 minutes or something to wash a coffee pot. Um, if not, I know somebody will get it done. But if that, you would just like to make that commitment, what a blessing that would be. Um, and thank you for those of you who are helping lead discussion groups. Thank you. Um, that's just a, a real blessing, and, and I'm glad he finished by talking about Titus, too. It's just an opportunity to start cultivating those kind of relationships. So our typical Wellspring morning, um, we will meet here in this room. And so the doors to come in are just right down here at the end of this hall. Um, the men will be down in Barnes Hall, so the doors down there might be open as well. I'm not sure if the, very, if the front door will be open, but I think Scott will be opening these side doors here for us. Um, when you come in, just like you had this morning, there'll be the materials table. You can check off your attendance and get an outline. 
and uh, homework and any other handouts that we have. If you'll bring these, tuck them in your notebook and just reuse them each time because sometimes it's just hard to remember names. And when you look at somebody for the fifth time and you know that you know them and you know you've talked to them before, sometimes don't you just want to turn around and walk away because you're so embarrassed you don't know their name? But this just helps you not to turn away. So you just serve each other by wearing this little name tag. Um, and that, that's just a way we can serve each other and make it a little less awkward. So if you can arrive a little bit early, get here at 6.50 or so, grab something to eat, have a little fellowship, and then we'll start our teaching right at 7. Um, from there, we'll go to discussion group. Oh, and during the teaching for Wellspring, we take a break. You know, the guys are getting up, and they're getting food, and they're going to the restroom, and, you know, I feel a little awkward doing that. Not so awkward I don't do it, but we just take a little break so then everybody can refill and, and not feel like they're interrupting anything. And then we'll do discussion groups, and our, like I said, our discussion groups will end at 9. We'll try to save a half hour for discussion groups. Sometimes we just squeeze that too much, but that's our goal. Um, one of the things you received today, if you were not in Wellspring last year, was a songbook. And that is just for your benefit. You heard Scott talk a lot today about how we really are laboring to not just be people who read our Bible every day, but people who meet with God in his word and who are growing in our love for him and our dependence on him and starting your day by worshiping. And these, these are all songs that, um, you'll, that we sing on Sunday mornings at Grace Bible Church. And um, sometimes if it's a tune I don't recognize, I'll punch it into YouTube and there'll be a video of it. You can sing along or something. Um, but that can just be a, a really helpful way of preparing your heart to just be quiet and, and just to draw near to God and meet with him. So it's just a tool. It's just for you. Um, if there's anybody in here, and I, I am serious about this, if there's anybody in here who would like to lead singing, like we could all sing a song together, I just think that would be delightful. But I don't think I'm going to do it. So <laughs> Maybe someday. I don't know. But I got a cold today. We're not thinking about that. So... Anyway, just wanted to let you know, that is just, just for you. Um, if you were in Wellspring last year, you should have gotten one, but if for some reason you don't have one and you need one, let me know and we'll see if we can find one for you. Okay. Well, let's pull out your binder. Everybody got one today. If you have one from last year and you want to um, use that one again, um, make sure you pull the new things out of the new binder before you give it back to Allie. There's a schedule and some different things that we'll look at. Um, but on the back of the binder, Scott talked about these disciplines. And this is what we'll, we'll start every week. Sometimes we'll finish, but a week will not go by that we don't talk about the Wellspring purpose and the disciplines. Because this is what we're really um, focusing on, cultivating in ourselves and encouraging one another with. Um, and and because because of that, because these disciplines build on one another, um, and, and we're committed to helping one another grow in that for our own growth and for the growth of the church. Um, Wellspring is a commitment. It's a it's a nine month commitment. Um, the Friday night meetings we have for Grace Bible Church that happen once a month. Those you can come anytime you're free. Come once, come every time, it doesn't matter. But Wellspring builds week by week. And so we really ask that you think about 
how to um, build that commitment into your life. Now, by commitment, what I don't mean is that if you get sick, you have to come, or your kids get sick, you have to come, or your husband says, hey, honey, let's go away from the weekend. Don't say no, okay? (laughs) If he says that, you say, sure. That's why we record it. That's why you can print materials off the website. But what I mean by commitment is that in as much as it's up to you, that you're committed to being here as much as as much as it's up to you. And so I want to encourage you to pray about that. Just go before the Lord and ask him for his help to keep that as a priority and to keep that commitment. Um, and uh, and just ask him for his help to get all that he has for you out of Wellspring and for you to contribute all that he has for you to contribute to others through Wellspring. And so then when those... Um, obstacles come up because they're going to come up you know you're probably a lot more likely to remember like now this is not a surprise to the lord here already knew this is going to happen back when i prayed about it back in september that this is going to happen and so you can trust him for that and and when you need to miss come back okay it doesn't mean you don't come back if you miss Um, it just means that you're going to get the most out of it the more consistent you can be okay So now go ahead and look at the front of your notebook. I don't have the same cover as you do, but you can see there that we have the logo. Um, Now, the name of this ministry is Wellspring, which comes from Proverbs 4.23, which I think is there on the front of it, right? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, wellspring is the head or the source of a spring or a river. It signifies a continual supply. So when Proverbs 4.23 says that the heart is the wellspring of life, it's saying that all of life flows from the heart. And Scott talked to us already about what the heart is. It's, it's, it's who you are. It's the inner man. Um, it's not a part of us. It's, it's us. Um, biblically, when we see heart, it means who we are on the inside. And our life continually flows from and reveals our heart. There's nothing that comes out of us that didn't first reside in our heart. You know, you know how easy it is to say, well, I don't know where that came from. But we do. It came from our heart. That careless word came from our heart. Um, and so our logo tries to convey, try to convey this idea with the continual flow of water from an unseen source, just like everything flows from our heart. And it also conveys that Wellspring is a ministry uh, for women. It ties back to Titus 2, the idea of one generation pouring into another. And what we pour into others is going to be what flows out of our hearts. So Scott already kind of touched on that for us. Um, So let's go ahead and open up our notebooks and let's just kind of try to fly through this real quickly so we still have a few minutes to meet our discussion groups. Um, At the front, you see the schedule. I encourage you to take those dates and put them on your calendar. It's mostly the same as the build schedule. We are going to cycle through the disciplines um, several times through the course of the year, hopefully just to help keep growing those connections of how related they are. Um, The next page you see there are your discussion groups. The leaders are at the top, and then the list of the people in the group are underneath that. And you see over on the side, 
that um, you have a buddy listed. And we call it a buddy because I don't know what else to call it. You know? I don't know. Guys don't have buddies, but we have buddies. Um, when When you go to your discussion time, that's a time to get to know each other, a time to share with each other what God's doing in our lives, to share from the homework, to share how the disciplines are going. Um, and uh, and that's an important part. It's a key component of Wellspring. But caring for one another is everybody's responsibility. And so that's why we've actually assigned everyone a buddy. It might be someone you know. It might be somebody that you're going to get to know. And this is, again, no pressure. This is not a heavy-duty commitment. Okay, This is not a commitment to go out for coffee every week, although you can if you want to. But it's just a, it's just um, someone to uh, text with once in between classes or send an email. Uh, exchange prayer requests. I mean, I cannot tell you. Last year, Laura was my buddy. I cannot tell you how many times she would send me an email saying, oh, by the way, I'm praying for you. When I had just been sitting there with my head in my hands going, ah, what am I going to do? Um, it was just such a blessing that, I, that this, this sister was praying for me. And she was reaching out and letting me know she was doing that. Um, so that's that's something. It's just it was a real blessing for me. If, if uh, you know, there's, it can fall apart, and your body, buddy might not stay with Wellspring, and we'll try to work that out, and you know, not make anybody feel like they're the only one without a buddy. We'll find a buddy for you. But um, I hope that that's just something that uh, you know, gives, gives you someone to look for when you walk in the room, someone to sit with if you don't know anybody else when you walk in. Um, just helps you strengthen that connection with one one other person. Okay. All right. The next thing you see is just some basic contact information and how to, where to go on the internet to get materials for Wellspring. Um, let me know if you have any questions about that. And then the next tab you see is for outlines. The uh, every week you'll get a worksheet or an outline like you got today to take notes on for the lesson, and this will just be a place to organize those. And then the next tab is homework. Your homework will come on um, colored paper, usually. You may not want to file your homework right away when you get it, because if you're like me, you might not think about it again until Friday night. Not one week later, but two weeks later, before the next bell spring. So I'm trying to train myself to take that colored sheet of paper and fold it up and stick it in my Bible. So the next time I open up my Bible, like maybe the first day I'll just read the questions. Because then they're kind of be floating through my brain. I can be thinking about them, and um, you know, maybe take some extra time on that Saturday between Well Springs, or or maybe on Friday night before the next one. You know, whenever it works for you to get it done, try to set aside some time so you can do it thoughtfully. The homework is designed to really help us apply on a heart level what we're getting in the lessons. Um, but then, after you've completed your homework, we'll come back and we'll, we'll share from it in our discussion group. And then you'll hand it into your discussion leader. And that's probably different than any other women's ministry you've been a part of. And if that's new to you, it probably feels really different and maybe feels a little awkward. But I will tell you that I actually have come to love giving my homework to somebody because it comes back and it might have a smiley face on it. (laughs) Or a Bible verse or just like, oh, I'm praying for you. Or, hey, this is really encouraging. Or, hey, have you thought about this? And... um, and I, I have to tell you, I go back and look at those homeworks. It's really encouraging. I feel so loved and cared for that somebody else would take the time to read about my measly struggles, to walk with Christ, and would want to spur me on like that. 
So it's a chance for you to be encouraged by your discussion leaders and for them to know you better and to know better how to pray for you. So if you have any weirdness about that, it feels awkward, you don't like it, please talk to me or talk to your discussion leader. Um, That is not what we're after, is to make anybody feel uncomfortable. Go ahead and flip then to your third tab, which is resources. Um, Go ahead and flip past that homework instructions right now. We'll come back to that. Um, But you can see the next thing in your notebook is Bible reading plans. And that is the primary assignment for Wellspring is to get on a plan to read through the Bible in a year. Um, Now, maybe you're like me. Maybe there have been years where you've decided, okay, it's January, and this is the year. Yes, indeed, this is the year that I am indeed going to read through the Bible. And on December 31st, in 365 days, I am going to be reading the last page of Revelation, and I'm going to say, yes, I did it. And then, like Scott said, you get to Exodus, or maybe you're really an overachiever, and you get all the way to Leviticus, and you just feel like, are you kidding me? I've gotten so far behind. I'm not going to catch up if I stay up all night reading and forget it. January will be here again in 11 months, and I'll just try again. Um, And if you have ever had that experience, I want to encourage you that um, this is something worth persevering with. Our goal here is perseverance, and our goal is to meet with God in his word, and our goal is to get God out of all of his word, because the God of the Old Testament is our God, and we learn a lot about him to see how he related with his people in the Old Testament. So it is important. Um, But it's also, the point is to persevere and to grow in making this a discipline where you're meeting with the Lord. So what happens if it takes you 14 months to finish? Can you come back to Wellspring? Yeah, what if it takes you 18 months or two years to finish? Will you still get more out of it than if you had not tried? What if you skip a day? What if if you blow it and you're out of the word for a week and you say, you know what, I'm just... I'm just going to jump back in as if I'd been reading that whole week. I'm just going to skip that week's worth. Will you still get things out of the word that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise? You will. You will. Do we get more the more we read? Of course. But the goal is to, be per, is to persevere in meeting with God in his word. You will miss days. There may be days God, you know, you, you wake up and you go before the Lord and you're just, you're a mess. And you're like, you know, Lord, I I think I just need to open up the Psalms and I just need to park myself here. And I just need to soak myself in these cries of this man whose heart sounds so much like mine sometimes. And that's good. That's okay. This is not to hinder your fellowship with the Lord. This is to enhance your opportunity to meet with God in all of his word. And that's what we're going to do is we're going to encourage each other in that. So we have several samples. If you have a plan and you're on it and it's working for you, stick with it. That is fine. Do not feel like you have to change gears now because I tell you you've got to have a plan by October 1st. If you are not on a plan to read through the Bible right now or your plan is not working for you, then look through what's in here and choose, um, choose a plan to start by October 1st. There's a chronological plan. Um, as Beth pointed out last time I talked to her, it's a roughly chronological plan. It's a roughly chronological plan. Then there's a, what they call the 52-week plan. That has you reading different genres of scripture each day of the week. 
which works well if you have more time to read some days than others. Like Friday looks like pretty heavy reading to me on that plan. Tuesday might be a little heavy. There's the McShane's Bible reading plan. Um, A lot of people at church like that. That has you in four different places every day. And it takes you through large portions of the word twice in a year. Um, So it's really rich. It's really sweet. But it's also a a little bit bigger commitment than just trying to read through the the word once. Um, The next one is a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament every day. Um, I kind of like that. I, I prefer to have some New Testament most days. And then the next one, the Discipleship Journal Bible Reading Plan. If you have struggled with a reading plan in the past or you've never tried to read through the Bible in a year, I want to encourage you to give that one a good look. Um, One of the reasons is that it only gives you 25 days of reading each month. And so that means it's giving you five or six days a month to do your Wellspring homework or do your small group homework or if you miss a day you've kind of got a little bit of margin each month. Um, and it takes you, I think every day it has you in Old Testament and, uh, okay, New T- I'm sorry, the Gospels plus another New Testament reading, something from either Psalms or Proverbs and then something else from the Old Testament. So you're still reading in four places and that not everybody enjoys that. But it's a good one to look at if, if um, you feel like you might need a little bit of slush, a little bit of wiggle room. Um, and then the rest of these resources we'll talk about more as we go through Wellspring. They're, they're primarily just there for your reference to help you shepherd your heart. And we will make, have some homework assignments that make use of those. Okay, any questions? Being in a smaller environment than we've been before, I need to remember that we could actually do Q&A as we go because I don't usually do that. But I'd be happy to answer anything. Okay. Yes. Do people really, the ones that are using it, so I think there are people using it. Mm-hmm. So are they really, do they read through all four books privately by themselves and then take their family through the first two? Is that what people are normally doing with that? Or are they just privately reading I personally, when I've done this plan, have just read them all privately myself. But, Allie, is this something you and Bobby have done, the family ones together? Yeah, we had started to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ended up just kind of doing it all. And then we had different kinds of social kinds of novels. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just up to you. I don't, it's just, I, I actually don't know anybody who's ever done it this way, but maybe somebody in here has. It wouldn't be a bad idea, but it might be a lot for little ones to sit through yeah. two full chapters each day. Yeah. So check with your husband on that. He can decide. (laughs) Okay. Um, Probably the reading plan. I'll I'll just tell you, this is the hardest thing. On one hand, we don't want to set the bar so low to say, well, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, if you get to it, great. If you don't, it doesn't matter. It does matter. It's important. And we want to be encouraging each other in that. And yet I also think that, I don't know if this is a women thing, I think maybe it is, that we tend to miss sight of the goal. We lose sight of the fact that we're really trying to meet with the Lord and we make it into something as a task and then we beat ourselves up for not completing the task. So just let's really try to keep each other away from those two extremes. We do want to spur each other on. It's important to be in the Word. It's important to be growing and meeting with the Lord in His Word. Um, 
And if that needs to look different for you and your circumstances, then um, that's okay. I'm sorry, I'm racing. I really want to do this in three minutes so you can have ten minutes with your discussion group. Turn back to that page that said homework instructions. And then also, when you came in with your outline, you got a green page. That was your homework page. Like that. So, um, this homework instruction sheet that's in your resource section, that will give you, when you go to your homework, if you have questions about it, this will give you the explanation. Um, since I'm going to race through this really quickly. But the format of the homework this year will be a question that has us look back at the teaching that we heard and the the notes that we took in the outline. Um, And I really, again, I really want to encourage you to make this a time to apply what you're learning on a heart level. You know, maybe we've all been in studies where it's been kind of crank the blank. Let me just find an answer. Let me just write down something that's good. That's a good thing. I should remember that. Really take the time to pray about it and and ask the Lord, Lord, what from this lesson do I need to hang on to? Do I need to apply? Do I need to be using as I preach the gospel to my heart or living out the gospel in my home? Um, we really we really want to make that count. And then we're also going to have a looking day by day question, which is um, focusing us back again on our Bible reading, since that's our primary assignment. Um, the point again is not guilt. The point is encouragement. Let's persevere. Didn't read all week? That's great. Then let's read today. Let's pick up where we left off and let's read today. Today is the day to get in God's Word and to meet with Him. Um, you'll also see mention there of a theme. And the uh, theme is explained more in the homework instructions. But this year, as part of your homework this week, is along with picking a Bible reading plan, is to pick a theme to look for as you go through your Bible reading this year. Now, Scott mentioned one in the lesson that's not on here. If I'd known he was going to say that, I would have added it. But you can add that. Look for glory. Look for everything you learn about God's glory. But there are also several others that I I want you just to look and pray over for yourself. Um, And then the idea then is that when you come to your Bible reading, this is something to be praying about. If I pick this first one, I'm going to be coming and saying, Lord, I'm here because I want to know you. Will you help me to see what this passage that I'm reading today teaches me about you? Um, And then you can pick a journal. If you have a blank book, a journal of your own, or you like to do things electronically, or if you need a little journal to record what you learn about your theme, um, these will be available next week. Um, Like I said, you can use any kind of journal that you want, or notebook paper, or a spiral notebook, whatever you like, but I'll have some... Um, paper with lines on it that has the theme for each, you know, different one for each theme next week, if, if that's the way you want to do it. Um, and then the back of your homework, you see a looking ahead. This will be a new part of the homework this year. Some, some weeks it'll just be one verse to look at and think about before you come. Um, in this case, you have um, multiple questions on a passage, but these are questions to prepare you for the teaching that you're going to get. Um, And uh, sometimes it'll just be a chance for you to do a little bit of your own study on a passage before you hear the teaching. And that can just help it go deeper. 
And then, not this week, but some of the time, you will also have a section called Looking Deeper. And that'll be a little bit more in-depth topical study. So next week's homework, for example, will have a Looking Deeper section on what the word actually says about itself, just as a way to spur us on in our reading of the word. So that's the homework. Um, I apologize that that has taken us down to the wire, but if discussion groups, um, Karis. Yeah, are we turning in our theme journals? No. Okay. No, theme journal is just for you. That's just for you to develop a resource over the course of this reading plan that you can look back and say, wow, look what I learned about God. Look what I learned about prayer, whatever your theme is. Okay.